I'm having some tummy issues this morning, so if I suddenly get up, don't be alarmed. I'll be back in a minute. I know where to go. You know we're recording this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Michael Sparks, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Coming down rapidly like the temperature, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I have two rules for success. Number one, don't tell people everything you know. <laughs> Join me as usual as a team that has given up against all things rhetorical, because what's the point? <laughs> She'd like to protest picketing, she just doesn't know how. Nancy. There you go. Besides, today's the end of the world, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Exactly. I can't wait. And he wanted to drown his trouble, but he couldn't get me to swim. Scott. <laughs> Listen, about the end of the world, I can't wait. I'm waiting for it all to come crashing down. And Guys, so far, it's beautiful out there. Welcome back. I hope you had a great week. We're going to have a great show today because we're going to be talking to his rawness, Arn Raw. Oh, Woo-hoo! one of our favorite guests. And we can't wait. I can't wait. No. But for now, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Uh, I guess we got to talk. We, uh, You know, science is great, and let's talk a bit about Hurricane Harvey. Mm. Hurricane Harvey is the one I went to uh, Houston. Now, numbers have come out. Hurricane Harvey has dumped 125 trillion liters of rain in Texas. Wow. To the point that the GPS markers in the city indicate that Houston, the city itself, sank a little. Oh, my God. Into the crust. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. The Earth's crust actually sank about two centimeters for a few days because this, this uh, 125 trillion liters of rain it was equal to about 275 trillion pounds of water. Oh, yeah. That's the equivalent of 155,342 Golden Gate Bridges, or 77% of the weight of Mount Everest. I never thought about the weight of all that water. You never think about it, it, right? No. No, no. So that was actually, that's quite fascinating, because these kind of stats, we never had these stats when we were young, right? So it's fascinating. Well, we also didn't have GPS to uh, to do the measuring. Do the measuring. So, um, of course, they had another earthquake in Mexico, a 7.1 this time. Wow. Oh, that was so tra- that's so tragic. And this was much closer to Mexico City, uh, yeah. over oh, 200 no. dead as we speak, and as it was about 75 miles south of Mexico City. Yeah, just absolutely tragic in every you know in every possible wait, way. Wait a minute now, which earthquake is this that just happened? The second one. The second one. Okay, there was a third one now. They had a 6.8. Oh, it was an aftershock. They actually had a third one too. They had a third one that was reported last night or this morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, mm. I didn't see that. Yeah. Well, Mexico is getting their ass kicked, essentially. For sure. They're gonna they're gonna need some help because that's that's a huge. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. That's well. Look how much of the world needs help all at the same time. You know, to try and get crews and equipment, even from other, you know, from all the countries that generally, you know, help. How how many are left now to be able to help in Puerto Rico and and, yeah, and 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 with the infrastructure, the infrastructure of these places is destroyed. How do you get the help in there? 
Exactly, exactly. And yeah. of course, the uh, like we said previously on a previous show, uh, the U.S.-Mexico relations are not that great right now. So the uh, the help is maybe not coming from the from the Americans. We don't know at this point. Um, I I would hope they're not that petty. Well, well, I did hear Trump say he he called uh, called the president oh, of Mexico. He did this time. Okay, yeah, good. his last time he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. With a what do you need? I'm hoping that was part of the I'm conversation. I'm hoping that was part of the conversation. What do you need? Can we do anything? Yeah. Speaking of disasters, um, the CBC reports that uh, eggnog has already appeared in uh, in grocery stores across Vancouver. Ah! I know. I think that's well, a good I, thing. I, I, what? I think there should be eggnog year-round. Well, oh. I was just going to say that. The comments of Scott and Nancy are not necessarily those of left as well. <laughs> People are calling it the, egg, uh, the Christmas creep. The and Christmas creep, yeah. And, uh, I'm sure it's one of the signs Halloween of the apocalypse. Yet. Yeah, but it's 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 interesting stuff to make French toast and you know eggnog <laughs> yeah, ice we, cream know, is it's, good it's stuff. True. We haven't gotten through Halloween and wait a minute, we haven't gotten through Thanksgiving yet. Yeah. Like I haven't gone through anything. Wait. It's way too much. Uh speaking of the end of the world, a like we were saying at the beginning of the show, a biblical doomsday prophecy is saying the world will end today. So I guess this is it, guys. Uh, this is the uh, last show we're doing for Left of the Valley. Yeah, yeah <laughs> let's make bad. it a good one. Yeah, bad. it was pretty good. You know? But there's no good we, we don't know. As I was saying to you earlier, Kevin, we don't know what time. So we don't know whether to plan lunch, whether to shop for groceries, go to a movie. You're never going to know the ending. Uh, yeah, it's so it's, tough. <laughs> I'm going to go fix somebody's computer later, and then I'm going home and I'm getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see a problem with this, even if the world doesn't end well, you know, this is according to uh, David Mead um, he's he's quoting Isaiah 13 and 9 to 10 uh, which basically says that the uh, stars in heaven will not show their light the rising sun will be darkened etc etc he's basically saying that the uh, unknown planet Nibiru have you heard of that one? Is going to collide yes. with Earth today and this is his uh, thinking because you get you get you got to be able to do the math okay Jesus is 33 years old, or he was 33 years old, and the word Elohim is said 33 times in the Bible, and September 23rd is exactly 33 days since the last eclipse. Uh-huh. That is the science. And 33 oh. cows are laying in a farmer's field somewhere in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, then it's and there's inevitable. 33 frogs in a, that's, in, a, that's yeah, it. in a bog in Florida. That's yeah. it, man. I mean, this is this is rock solid. I don't know what to say about that. I no. mean, the numbers don't lie, right? No, and if we took our ages and added them up and then divided by whatever number <laughs> we would get, we yeah, would we get, get to 23. We well, would get 33, to 23, yeah. 33. 33. 33. <laughs> whatever <laughs> number we wanted to get to, we could arrange to uh, science works that way so i guess I, well you know I, I guess i'd like to thank all our listeners for bearing with us for these couple of years and yeah. it was great you guys were awesome all right so yeah it was fantastic guys i, I really appreciate that thank you so much for joining us on the show today that was great no, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking you're not serious are you <laughs> uh, i think we're missing some stuff there's a new survey that says Canadians are not too hot when it comes to science literacy. That oh. hurts me. That really hurts me. This is the Ontario Science Centre in Toronto. shows that 43% of Canadians, the, the, in their opinion, says science is, quote, a matter of opinion. Houston, we have a problem. Huh. What? Yes. Uh, 47% think the science of the uh, global warming is unclear. 
Uh-huh. 24% of millennials say vaccines are linked to autism. Wow. And 52% are against GMOs. These are the people that slept through all their science classes Probably. or didn't have them. 70% apparently think science is selectively reported to support media objectives. Huh? And this was a sample of 1,514 Canadians. So, so it's not a huge sample, but still. Uh, but the, the, the silver lining in this is the majority still thinks uh, and trusts science and scientists. Uh, I don't know how to feel about this. Because this, this statistic, I would have believed it coming out of the States, coming out of here in Canada, uh, is a bit shocking to me. Yeah, at least... These people all would have voted for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the last sentence you said, I think, is the best, that the majority... Still, I mean, if it was the other way around, where the people who believed in 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 science and trusted it, and the scientific method, you know, was something that that everybody realizes is the is the way to you know to um, prove things, that that you know that would be a problem. Yeah, exactly. that would definitely be a problem if we were in the minority. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, to all my fellow Canadians, uh, wake up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Put your nose in a book here. Uh, actor Danny Glover. I'm too old for this shit. Remember actor Danny Glover? Yeah. He used to play with uh, Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. Awesome movies. Yes. Yeah. I'm getting too old for this shit. Uh, apparently he was a former uh, Jehovah's Witness. And uh, he won an Emmy for directing recently. And he decided to thank, instead of thanking God, he thanked the great algorithm. <laughs> right on. So I'm thinking, is this right is this a new on. trend? Is this a new trend? All of a sudden, we're going to see stars thinking something else than God. The you know, great I'd algorithm. Like to thank the, the great algorithm. That's, oh, I thought it was interesting. Man, I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here, uh, locally in Canada, uh, there's another North Atlantic right whale that was found dead in the St. Lawrence. Uh, this is the eleventh one in that's recent scary. months. Now, it's, it's a rare whale. Uh, they estimate there's no more than 500 of them in the world. So the government has actually issued a slowdown uh, for the vessels on the St. Lawrence because this, this last whale apparently was hit. Oh. Yeah, so, uh, so they're, all, they're also investigating whether or not there are environmental factors like pollution and stuff like that. So. Well, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. pollution probably. Does. There was a time when I was... Um, just after I, I joined the military and, and the whole... Would have been back in the early 90s. They declared that uh, beluga whales that washed up on the shores of the St. Lawrence mm-hmm. were to be roped off and considered toxic waste areas. Yes. Because there was that much pollution in the whale. Yeah. Huh. Right. So, I, yeah, the St. Lawrence polluted? No. Say it ain't so, Joe. Well, it is way better now than it was like in the 80s. Like way better now. In the oh, 80s, yeah. They've, they've done a lot to clean it up, but it's still, we're, you can't have that many people living around the Great Lakes Basin. Yeah, it's that's without exactly pollute, it. All the Great Lakes and everything water, right? are without polluting the water. It's it's there. All the Great Lakes and everything are going into the Saint Lawrence, so it's yeah. receiving everything. But of course, then it, it goes to Montreal as well, and Montreal is a big city, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Trump in North Korea? Uh, do the, we the dotard? <laughs> the dotard, the, the, yeah. yeah. Dotard, as they say in the news, but I believe it's pronounced daughtered. No, oh, whatever. Daughtered or dotard, it's one, yeah. one of those. Yeah. But it's great. I mean, we finally have a new word to use, you know. <laughs> a, word, a word from the 1800s, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it is a good one for him, too. It is. It is. A senile yeah. old man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Losing his Something faculty. good has come out of North Korea. So, so maybe we should start, like we're rooting out of North Korea. Maybe we should really start listening to this uh, to this psycho over there because he <laughs> sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Let's just just hope that we these these two idiots don't. I mean. Kind of makes me wonder, you know, if, if Trump was to actually say, all right, let's bomb North Korea, would somebody in the U.S. government actually step up and say, no, we just can't do this? The que- that is a question I've been asking, and I, I've been told that, yes, they would. Uh, or no, 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 not the government. The uh, the military would carry out his orders. And, and I... Blindly carry that, out That it. scares me, because I would think that the top echelons of the U.S. military would kind of look at that order and go, no. Yeah. We're not doing that. Oh, I, I hope you know someone would tackle him to the, if he if he was looking like yeah. he was going to activate the the nuclear i'm hoping someone would tackle him to the ground yeah and the same thing i mean it's if north korea throws lobs a bomb and 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 does destruction i would hope that cooler heads prevail and and don't get me wrong um retaliation has to happen at that point but I would hope that they put the nuclear option in their back pocket and say, okay, wait a minute here. We've, we've got to get the world together and yeah. figure out how to yeah. deal with this. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was very scary this morning when I was watching the news, and as it turned out, um, all of the instruments showed that there was some seismic activity yes. Yes. in North Korea. Yeah. And the first thing that came to my mind, you know, after I was listening for a while and realized, no, it looks like, from what they say, it looks like an, earth, an earthquake. Yeah, an actual I earthquake. Thought, there's a perfect opportunity for a misunderstanding to occur, and then you can't. Oh, we thought it was a bomb. You can't. You can't pull back from the pull, yeah, pulling when, the trigger. Once you start pulling those triggers, it's gonna it's gonna cascade. There's yeah. gonna be exactly. Yeah. There's gonna be. It, there's no. Oh wait, by. wait! It really was an earthquake. Yeah. Oh, that was scary. scary times, scary times. Scary. All right, my dear Nancy, how are you doing in this day in history? We're doing a specific event in this day in history, and okay. it's a Lollapalooza. Ooh. Ooh. Look yeah. at Nancy going all music. There we go. <laughs> okay. You know, there's been all of this controversy about Civil War monuments, and it's been in the news, but would you believe that this last week... There was a new unveiling of a monument of the uh, during uh, a monument of, of the Civil War. Oh, let me guess, Mississippi. A- and I'll tell you in a minute. And the people, <laughs> the people who unveiled it and were behind it, made a statement, and they said, "We don't have any far right maniacs, racists, or anti semites. We're just town Here's folks not. who are interested in history." That's what they said. Sure you are. And you know what? I believe them. You do? You know why? Okay. Because this monument was unveiled in Ontario. What? Yes, Cornwall, Ontario. Oh, no. Live with that for just a second. And this <laughs> oh, hold on. You said civil war? Hold on it's here. It's a civil war. Canada unveiled its first monument to the U.S. Civil War honoring the 40,000 Canadians who fought during America's bloodiest conflict. Wouldn't they have been British? They were Canadian. The monument was championed by a Civil War pre a Civil War reenactment group who raised almost 44,000 bucks, which is 36 US, to build it. 
because not only were there 40,000 Canadians who fought in that war, but about 7,000 Canadians died in the war that claimed 620,000 or so U.S. lives. Please tell me they weren't fighting outside the Confederacy. This, well, there were Canadians that fought on both sides. Oh. And leading up, leading up to this, though, is really fascinating because before the Civil War with the Underground Railroad, Canada mm-hmm. was a destination. Yes. And so there were a lot of people who were involved in trying to free the slaves and do the right thing up until there. But... Um, to answer your question, Scott, uh, Canada was part of Britain until 1867 mm. and officially neutral, but Canadians fought on on both sides um, th- because the uh, it, no one can fully understand it without appreciating that the war was an essential factor in Canada's birth in 18. 18- 67. This is really, really fascinating. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, So although monuments in the U.S. have been a subject of of debate, the supporters of the Ontario Monument um, say really that they're only interested in in history, and it was a a pet project of a Montreal Civil War reenactment society called the Greys and the Blues. So the war broke out in 1861, and Canada, uh, as I said, was still a subject of Great Britain, and they had an uneasy peace with the American neighbors uh, since the War of 1812. Yep. When um, you know they kicked their asses. There you go. Um, but uh, although most Canadians fought for the Union Army, many were sympathetic to the Confederacy, with some Confederate fighters hiding out in Canadian cities to conduct wow. border raids. Really. It, it was, and it, it just, that's when I heard that, I've never, no, never that, heard that. That's a side of history that's not taught. It's not, not talked about. 29 Canadians won the Congressional Medal of Honor. The Canadian veterans are buried in the Arlington National Cemetery. Wow. And uh, this stems from a book, well, it doesn't stem from a book, but in 2013, um, a historian named John Boyko wrote a book called Blood and Daring, and he said, we owe it to ourselves to understand the Civil War, to heed its whispering ghosts, because there's no, it's not a coincidence that the Confederation was in 1867. What happened was it spurred the Canadians to say, we don't want to be like the Americans, so we'd better start building our country in a way that is, is different from them and, and one that we're, we're proud to live in, which is really exciting, really an interesting concept. And the West was a real fear also that because Canada is so geographically long and wide, Exactly. That the Americans could invade easily if we didn't unite as one that, country. That's right. Yeah. So, so the the civil, but the, this is so fascinating. And there, here are, are five people who actually played a role in Canadians who played a role in the U.S. Civil War. And the one of the first ones was a gentleman named Edward P. Doherty, and he captured John Wilkes Booth. Really? Where did we what? where did we ever hear that one? Yeah. That's right. Edward Doherty may have been the highest profile Canadian during during the conflict. We don't know a whole lot about his origins, but he was born in Canadian territory and he was in New York when the war began and he served as a private 
in uh, New York Regiment, later became a first lieutenant in the 16th New York Cavalry. Um, and then in, on April 24th, 10 days after Lincoln's assassination, he was ordered to form a detachment to capture Booth and any collaborators. But he was in the, he was in the, the New York um, Regiment at that point, so he was considered to be, you know, a part of the U.S. I don't know whether anybody ever said anything about his being Canadian hmm. at that point. But anyway, he and two dozen other members caught up with him um, uh, two days later in, as we sort of remember our history in a Virginia tobacco barn where Booth was killed uh, according to Doherty's report. And he received a, a 5200 dollar reward for finding wow. Booth, remained in the military till 1870, died in 1897, and is buried in Arlington Cemetery in Virginia. Um, a lady named Ruth Ruffin Abbott, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, a gentleman, I'm getting ahead of myself, a gentleman named Anderson Ruffin Abbott was Canada's first black surgeon, and um, he became one of only 13 black surgeons to serve in the, in the Civil War. He wow. earned a good reputation and uh, met President Lincoln. And uh, he was awarded, after Lincoln's assassination, Mary Todd Lincoln presented him with the shawl that Lincoln wore to his 1861 inauguration. Wow. And this is who, as I was thinking of before, Sarah Emma Edmonds fought as a man in the war. She took the name Franklin Thompson. And when the Civil War broke out, she joined the 2nd Michigan Infantry, um, and she uh, worked as a courier, fired a gun on a number of occasions, and in 1864 published her memoirs, which according to Civil War Trust, detail several of her exploits behind enemy lines throughout the war, and she was disguised as a male contraband and an Irish peddler. Very clever girl. She was awarded a pension, after the war. Jeez, and then here's the here's the most interesting to me this is the most interesting one, but this this is so fascinating. <laughs> it's so fascinating to unearth all of this, you know, all at the same time. Calixa Lavalie Lavalie. Does that name sound familiar to you? Lavalie, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Okay. He composed O Canada. Ah, and he okay. fought on the Union side of the war. Did we ever learn? Did you no, ever never learn that one? No. no. Canadian history classes really suck because it's about beaver pelts yeah. and, and trade tariffs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was a celebrated musician, um, and he was a composer of O Canada, which is our, our national anthem. He traveled to the U.S. in 1857 and won a music competition in New Orleans and he went on a musical tour and in 1861 he enlisted in the 4th Rhode Island Volunteers of the Union Army becoming a lieutenant in 1862 he fought in the bloody battle of Antietam which was one of the worst battles of the war and he sustained a leg wound was honorably discharged came back to Canada but then eventually returned to the U.S. where he married an American woman, worked as a music teacher Teacher and a performer in Boston, where he died in 1891. Yeah, and his name would have to be Lavalie because uh, a lot Lavalie. of people don't know that the Canadian national anthem was originally written in French. 
Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. So, and, I believe it makes more sense. Yeah. And there, here's one who was uh, uh, on the Confederate side. His name was Benjamin Weir. Um, and he was a prominent and very controversial Halifax entrepreneur and politician. But he actually collaborated with Confederate block runners during during the Civil War. Um, after the South lost the war, he managed to reestablish trade with Northern business, but he couldn't appease the U.S. government, which refused to grant him a visa to step on American soil. But anyway, isn't that a isn't yeah. that a great yeah. little piece of history? Yes, it, it absolutely is, and something where we've never ever been taught in class. I wasn't No, I encourage anybody who is interested to um, buy the book. It's expensive. It's somewhere around 16, 70 bucks. Even on uh, Kindle, it's around 15. But John Boyko, B-O-Y-K-O, the name of the book is Blood and Daring, How Canada Fought the American Civil War and Forged a Nation. Wow. So anybody who wants to follow up on that? If we have if we have history teachers in our audience, this is the kind of history we should be teaching our yes. kids. Yeah, on both sides. Forget forget the thing about the beaver pelts and the treaty of whatever. You know, that sucks. That's right. Everybody falls asleep to that. That's right. I mean my jaw dropped open and I thought, Holy Well we we Christmas. actually do uh, Canada has a lot of or had a lot of influence on how the American how America came to be what it is. Mm, absolutely. You know, uh, well, the White House. Take the White House. There's a good one. Well, both countries had an influence on each other, right? Oh, they did. They did. But take the White House. Mm-hmm. There's This is an interesting one that a lot of people don't know. Do you know why it's called the White House? Because it was painted white. Yeah. Why was it painted white? You tell me. Because uh, during the War of 1812, uh, British, Canadian, right? British uh, soldiers sacked the White House and burned it. Mm-hmm. It didn't burn to the ground because it's a stone building for the most part. And uh, they, re- the American government quickly repaired it and then white- whitewashed it to hide the fact that it had been burnt. Exactly. <laughs> ah. Fascinating stuff. Because I guess, I guess before, prior to that, it was the color of rock. It was the color of cement, right? If we could make yeah. history lessons kind of touch in with present day events, I think it really makes history way more fascinating and way more easy to remember, especially if you're in a class, right? Because if you can't relate to it in any way, shape, or form, no, you, it you really it. It, it does. It it so depends on the history teacher because if someone is just relating the facts and then the tests are in what year did X battle exactly. and it, what year was the inaugural and yeah, et pretty cetera, boring. you ju- you can't. But if someone brings it about like like a movie, like a story, which is what history is, we're living yes. through yeah. you know what what history is every day. And if you understand, if you make, make it that uh, you. You can explain how things are today because of the history back then. You can make them link, link the past and the present in your class. And all of a sudden, history is fascinating. Imagine what they're going to say in 200 years about what's going on right now. Oh, God. I only had one one history teacher that was passionate and smart enough to be able to to hold the class in the palm of his hand so that when the hour was up, no one wanted to move. <laughs> I think you would make a great history teacher now. Oh, I think, you know, this is storytelling. <laughs> exactly. Anything that has to do with storytelling would work. All right. Well, anyway. let's go into a segment that we always like call Another Brilliant Moment. Brought to you by religion. 
Did you guys hear that Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore, he's back. Yes. He said in a speech that Americans have asked for shootings and killings by removing the acknowledgement of God from society. <laughs> Moore, he's the former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Should be playing a banjo right now. So what should do. Uh-huh. Made the comments to a group of uh, to the group Citizens Impact USA on August 24th on an event defending religious liberties. And Moore right now is running against fellow Republican and incumbent Senator Luther Strange in a runoff primary that the uh, race is set for September 26th. That's right. And Trump was Trump was there supporting Strange. He was supporting Strange. Yes. Quote, we are losing the acknowledgement of God, and I'm standing right here talking to Christians and pastors, and I'm telling you, to we're losing the acknowledgement of God, he said. Why is he repeating himself? Uh, you wonder why we're having shootings and killings here in 2017? Because we've asked for it, Moore said. We've taken God out of everything. We've taken prayer out of school. We've taken prayer out of council meetings. Right, he's what only been removed. He's, on? Yeah, he's only been removed this from guy's the court. A judge. And he put re- removed twice. Yes, he was held in contempt. Twice. Uh, we've removed God from where? When? when Council meetings, schools. Oh come, no! All they did was remove prayer. Well, they mandatory prayer. God. They removed mandatory prayer. That's what they did. So. The interesting. I better check his check his world around him. The, the, the interest, religions everywhere. The, the interesting thing last night about Trump was that he was there for Strange and supporting Strange, but while he was making the speech and support, he said, "Well, maybe I've made a mistake, and if the other guy wins, I'll campaign just as hard for him." Oh, <laughs> Here's another story. Wouldn't you love to have Trump come to support you? No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> No, I don't think it could stand. I mean, I mean, if you if you really went into it thinking, oh wow, here's my guy, and in in the middle of his support, he'd say, well, maybe I made a mistake, but if the other guy wins, I'll be glad to com- campaign for him. The, the more I hear about him, uh, the more I feel my intellect dropping. Anyway, another story. Uh, Nothing says Christian love like kidnapping and attempted rape. <laughs> what? Five Wheaton College football players face felony charges after hazing a fellow student. According to multiple reports, five members of the varsity football team for the Christian conservative school Wheaton College have been charged with aggravated battery, mob action, and unlawful restraint after terrorizing a freshman football player last year in a deplorable hazing accident. Um, they were just fun. They didn't mean it. Yeah, they were right. just, just kidding. These are good Christian boys. Yeah. Just, be, just be nice to them. Yeah. The, student t- the student told investigators that he was watching the NCAA basketball tournament in a dorm in March when several teammates entered the room and tackled him. The freshman kicked his legs and yelled at him to stop, only to be punched and have his bare legs and wrists wrapped in duct tape. And then he told investigators he was placed in the backseat of a teammate's vehicle and held down by at least two players while others piled on into the vehicle. And then he told his teammates restrained him with more duct tape during the drive, pulled down his shorts and underwear, then repeatedly tried to insert an object into his rectum. Oh. Okay, so why isn't this called rape? It is. It well, is. no, 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 but the well, charges that yeah, were Yeah, the charges with aggravated him. battery, yeah, I guess. Aggravated battery is not the same as rape, and they should have been charged with rape. I think you have a point there. Uh, the only victim who immediately left conservative Christian school and transferred to different, different, different college said, this has, a, this has had a devastating effect on my life. Uh, what uh, was done to me should never be done, uh, should never occur in connection with a football program of any activity. <laughs> it should never happen, period. It should never happen, yeah. period. Yeah. 
So I I really feel sorry for that poor guy. However, after conducting their own investigation, quote unquote, the college did not report the crime to the police. Instead, the school tried to shield the athletes from prosecution while giving them a ridiculous punishment. Sources said the Tribune that several players were required to perform 50 hours of community service and write an eight-page essay reflecting on their behavior. <laughs> Doesn't this happen about once a year? Don't we hear these kinds of, you know, fraternity and team? It, and it does have, seem to happen it, a lot more. Uh, yeah. Now, the real question is here, I really think, is uh, the, the real obvious question is, what was he wearing to provoke these guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I jest, but oh. it's deplorable. That is, that's really sad. It's, it's, yeah, disgusting. Some, some lawyer is going to, going to use that as a, as a, as a defense now. Yeah. So let's finish with a, a funnier story. Um, according to the head of religious of religious fatwas in Saudi Arabia's Asir government, a woman shouldn't be allowed to drive because, for it, she's got a quarter of a brain. Yeah, that's it. You heard that right. Yeah. In a now viral video that started what? making the rounds online Wednesday, Sheikh Saad al-Hajiri is heard making the statement to a group of people during what he appears to be a sermon. Quote, a woman isn't equal to a man when it comes to brain power. This is how she was created, he said. He then explained that because women have half a brain, <laughs> Saudi Arabia's roads are traffic safety authorities oh shouldn't God. allow them to drive. If a man had half a brain, would they issue him a driving license? They wouldn't. His insults didn't stop there. He went on to explain that when a woman goes shopping, they lose another half of the existing half brain and end up with only a quarter brain. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Why does my head hurt? Now? <laughs> oh. Women don't deserve to drive because they only have a quarter of a brain. He, he reiterated. He where, said. Where, where do you where do you where even you start? <laughs> I, trying I'm, to yeah, talk. I'm completely lost here. Like. Uh, <laughs> Where? Yeah. What? Oh, my head hurts. Yeah, it does. You know, so women apparently in Saudi Arabia only have a quarter brain, and they're still smarter than most men. I was there. just going to ahead of me. You pulled that from my quarter of a brain thank you, into Kevin. your half a brain. <laughs> Kevin, at least that. Thank you. That was good. You, you kind of. The pain is subsiding a little now. <laughs> well, you know, personally, I think a guy like that literally has, quote, lost his mind. <laughs> he makes a comment like that. <laughs> wow. Oh, goodness I gracious. Know. All right. Thank you so much for this. That case. can't be real. That's got to be from like a comic book or something, isn't it? No, no, it's real. It's totally real. Oh. It's real comic, comic books can't keep up with the reality of half of these people. They, yeah, they just I, can't. I just, <laughs> <laughs> what do you even say to that? I don't know. What can you say to that, right? What can you say to that? It's a good thing you're getting drunk the rest of the day, Scott. My poor girlfriend's going to come home. I'm going to be laying in a, you know, you know, in a stupor on the couch. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. So <laughs> let's go to commercial, and when we come back, we'll have his runners, Arn Raw, Oh, us. I can't wait. Can't wait. So stay with us. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. 
We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. That music can only mean one thing. It's our friend Arn Raw, the bane of creationists everywhere, and the man Ken Hoven refers to as the devil whenever he fights him. Arn, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned Kent Hoven. I don't think I've, you know, Kent Hoven tries to pretend he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he has nightmares about you. <laughs> <laughs> now you'd he'd have to have some kind of compunction or conscious or, or 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 some kind of you know realistic view of where he is, but he doesn't have that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Aaron, <laughs> all right. So what's going on, guys? Aaron, you're certainly one of our favorite guests out there, and uh, and uh, but uh, we always have some new uh, members in our audience. Would you be so kind to give us a brief introduction as to who you are, sir? All right. Well, I've been an atheist activist for I don't know about twenty years, a little bit over. Uh, and and uh, I've been a representative, an official representative of American Atheists and also uh, Atheist Alliance of America. Uh, and I have, since at least 2012, I've been speaking at different conferences or conventions here or there, different kind of gatherings like that at least once a month. Here in the last few months, I've been doubling up, so I've been like do, doing two a month. Uh, which is it, it gets to be a little bit stressful since I try to do an original presentation every time, and it gets hard to write an original presentation every time. Think about it, you know, five or six thousand word speech, you know, and I, I don't, I, I very rarely go off the cuff. There's re- very rarely times when I can do that. A lot of times I have to have research stuff, and it also has to match up with a PowerPoint, and then, you know, everything's got to be worded exactly so, because I know that I'm going to have tens of thousands of pedantic SOBs <laughs> watching my video, and, you know, <laughs> I know what the comment section looks like, and if you ever actually do get something wrong, Oh hell! Oh yeah! <laughs> Everybody's calling you on it. Arn is yeah, definitely. You can't just say why well, misspoke. There's no. There's no excuse. Arn is definitely probably the hardest working atheist in the movement by far. <laughs> but and, today, and well, he has the most certainly fun. Try. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, he has the most fun. Certainly. Um, today, Arn, we're talking about the uh, series of videos you did uh, for disproving Noah's flood. Um, first question I gotta ask, I guess, is why Noah's flood? Why go with that? 
Well, isn't it sad that we have to do this anymore? I mean, this is the 21st century. Really? We got to have this goddamn conversation? <laughs> I mean, shit. And, and I've been thinking about doing this series for years and years and years. And there was a time when I thought, okay, we're, we're finally over it. Enough people understand that the flood just never happened. But no, I live in Texas where every representative of my state government, all of them, believe that the flood really happened. No, okay, that's just no. sad. Ouch. No. Yeah, and so now that now that the federal government is in the same niche, the rest of the country is going to start understanding this too, because everybody in the federal government says that you know the, the Earth is fifty five hundred years old, and you know and that that's the extent of human history and so forth. These are these are the Trump advisors that are saying these sorts of things. So, and then Mike Pence, you know, our, our beloved vice president, I did a video about him where he was talking about, can't we just teach evolution is just a theory. Uh, <laughs> oh. I know that there's got to be some extra level criminal cause to backhand a vice president, but I still have these little visions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't advocate violence at all, but you know, in a cartoon sort of way, you know, <laughs> Go for it. I'll bail you out anywhere, anytime. No problem. Just email me. I'm coming to get you out. Well, you know, last time we spoke to Aaron, he was also amusing about, you know, it would not be a bad idea for us to move to Vancouver. <laughs> By all means, <laughs> on your way out, Aaron. Just slap him. <laughs> oh. So you did a uh, you did a series of eight videos, and you went to incredible details with each one of them. Each one of them is on average between well, about twenty minutes length. Each one of them, and you went on each different field disproving Noah's flood. You went from meteorology, geology, paleontology, dendrochronology, zoology, anthropology, archaeology, and mythology. Jeez. Um, if we go one by one, <laughs> can you give us your, 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 best, your best argument for each one? Well, the, the first one, the one about meteorology, really that's, that's more about physics. I mean, it, it's technically it's meteorology, but it's integrated physics in there. And, and since everything else ended in ology, I had to say that one in ology too, or it just wouldn't be part of the set. Uh, but that argument I came across when I was actually, I was in geology class. I got a lot, a lot of these arguments actually came from my geology class. I, I think three of the shows came from that one class. I, um, yeah, historical geology. And I had two Christian professors there. Wow. And that was their first thing because we had so many creationists and they're so disruptive that they, they, these people, the teachers, have just put their armor on. We're, we're, okay, we're not going to put up with this bullshit. We're just going to throw down day one. There won't be any evangelical, evangelical apologists you know, with their little Kent Hovind books or, you know, their, their, their online access to Answers in Genesis, we're just not going to let them get any leeway at all. So on opening day, they say, they say okay, we're Christian, both of us, but we're going to say this, if you still believe in Noah's flood by this time next week, you won't. <laughs> there you go. Really wow. Good. <laughs> and it is a little bit hard to argue when they show you volumes of stuff that here's the, here's the actual explanation for this and is there a creationist explanation no there fucking isn't there's just <laughs> bullshit excuses where don't look over oh look squirrel that's that's what you got how <laughs> 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 squirrels is through Nova's flood there we go <laughs> okay so so in me meteorology what was the the best argument in your in your mind 
Well, that one was based on a on a scientific paper that was done kind of as a lark by a couple of people that that uh, were they were one was a, an oceanographer and a geologist, and I don't remember what the other one he had geology and some other overlapping field, and these two guys together. Uh, they were they were kind of dealing with the fact that science never addresses Noah's flood because it's a fucking fable. So f- scientists don't waste their time on this kind of shit, right? Some of this is one time in like 1980, these two scientists say, you know what, I'm not really doing anything this Thursday. Let's get together and let's do so- just for the fun of it. Let's disprove Noah's flood because you know somebody has to make an official paper disproving Noah's flood. We can't just all be you know stare down our noses at everybody and say you you don't understand you know because this this is the elitism that science gets right. They don't give the explanation, so these guys actually come up with an explanation. You know, here's the problem from you know from the physical or meteorological standpoint. What would happen if you had this much volume over? And then just, let's start doing all the physics calculations and everything. And the the temperatures because that's what everything comes down to in all these things. Everything is in joules of energy. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is another thing I love about, you know, the the, the woo merchants out here. I, would, I I know this is on a sideline, but I remember watching some woman on some video where she's giving a presentation about like homeopathy or some such, you know, spiritual healing kind of crap. And she says that her crystals have these energies, energies plural right <laughs> why is it these people can pluralize everything wrong like this why do they say evidences you know <laughs> for, for example but yeah so it's uh, energies and at some point she mentioned a falsifiable statement she actually said something falsifiable about the degree of energy i'm like okay so is this and I, i'm not so wishing i could be in the audience to completely fuck up her whole thing because she measured she measured how it where she mentioned how it could be measured you know, gave an indication that it could be measured. And I'm like, okay, that, is this in joules? <laughs> what is the unit of measure? And, and what are the, you know, how, how have we measured these? You know, because you know it's all bullshit. You know they're just making it up on the fly. And that's what creationism really is. They know, a lot of them know. Now, obviously, the, the, the random people in the street, the little old granny ladies and exact, you know, stuff like that, that that have believed all this forever. They don't have never had any education to speak of. Yeah, they actually believe it. But the, the, the merchants of this nonsense have to know better because they've heard all the counter arguments. They've seen all the evidence and they have to find, they have to systematically find excuses to eliminate all of it. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and I've had people tell me, like Ray Comfort, for example. You know, no, when I start giving him a not about the banana transitional. Man. What's that? Not the banana man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have. I had a debate with him on a radio show once upon a time, and I, and he's telling me there's no transitional species, and I'm so well. Let's examine that, you know, because there are criteria for what a transitional species is, and then I give him so if 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 there if. Science posits that there's, you know, these transitions or that there should be a transition from ape to man. It should be roughly halfway in between. And then they come up with all of these different, you know, australopithecines and everything that they say satisfies these criteria. What then, what would be the criteria? What uh, what features would you look for to see if it is, in fact, intermediate between humans and men? And his answer was, you know, when I say, what would you look for? He says, oh, I wouldn't because I'd know that I was made in the image of God. I'm like, so you, you're ducking the question. <laughs> Right, so you wouldn't look for any features. You're just going to, you know, close your eyes, plug your ears, and say, "Magic, magic, magic." God did it. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so this is how I know that these people know that they're really full of shit. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a matter of make believe. It's convincing themselves. Absolutely. This is- and they don't do a very good job of it either, because you know, when when one of them dies, you know, they all grieve exactly like that person's never ever coming back, and you're never ever going to see them again. They all they all have that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. 
It's not like he went to the most wonderful place ever, and gosh, we hope we, that we can all die soon to see him now. <laughs> oh, man. So, in your second video was about geology disproving Noah's Flood. Yep, again, from the same class, obviously. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> from, I could say, the first week <laughs> of that class. He was taking lots of notes. The, the, yeah, the teachers there wanted to make sure that there were no... They, they've obviously had run-ins with evangelical you know, apologists wanting to, to jack up the class all the time. And every time somebody says, millions of years... You know, somebody's got to make, make a big issue with it. Which, one of the things that they did was they went into all the different you know, means of radiometric dating. And, of course, creationists think there's carbon dating and that anybody ever actually uses carbon dating on paleontology. You know, the two very stupid things that are constantly being repeated. Mm -hmm. So they go through this long list of all these other different mating, dating methods. And, um, yeah, and, and, of course, they're, they're vastly further back than, than radiocarbon dating. Yeah, because radiocarbon dating is only up to 50,000 years, right? If I'm Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anything past that. And then, of course, you get paleontology. And, of course, we can't talk about no oh, yeah. soil without talking about dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, now, for most of the, the, that first one, of course, was the, I just got the paper that was a scientific paper. And I actually went back to the, the college that I went to. To, to get the paper from them because I couldn't remember what the, what the name of it was. So I actually you know, contacted the old professors and everything to get me that, that original paper again. And then for a number of the subsequent ones, for the geology one, I got someone to help me write the script. I got an actual geologist who was a former Christian who went to two Christian colleges mm. and then walked away from Christianity. But he was saying that when he was in one of these Christian colleges, he said that uh, the entire student body were all evangelical Christians. But when you get into the geology department, suddenly he said, all the young earth creationists disappeared. <laughs> in a Christian college, there's not one YEC. There wasn't a single flood geologist in their geology department because the people who are working in geology knew better. <laughs> Very good. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so uh, in what the paleontology one uh, I had a I had a friend who is a paleontologist help me with the script on that one. As a matter of fact, she helped me with two of them. You talking about Rachel? Uh, uh, she well, she's more commonly known as Paleo Clipper. Oh, okay, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, uh, well anyway, I, I can't remember oddly enough whether it's whether the first name was Rachel. Don't you hate when you have these senior moments like that? <laughs> <laughs> Speak yeah. for yourself. What? <laughs> yeah, well, she, she's not only a paleontologist, she's also a professional mermaid, which is just, this, this is a fascinating thing. <laughs> a professional <laughs> mermaid? Yeah, yeah, she goes into one of these giant aquariums when, everybody, when all, all the classroom field trips are there to, like, watch the, the, the feeding of the fish. And so she goes into the aquarium with fish fins. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, and just and does and swims around with the fish doing the feeding thing. So I mean, like, how, how neat is that? She's just so, very good anyway. at holding her breath. Obviously, <laughs> I want yeah, that so job. She, she had a huge amount of information to share with me, uh, and it was enough to do uh, both the paleontology one and the dendrochronology one because she had like so much extra stuff in there. So you know what? I can get two videos out of what you're giving me right now because the series was originally going to be five. Hmm. And I was surprised that I managed to get to eight. <laughs> I think you yeah. probably could have kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I got to, uh, there was one where I did anthropology and archaeology. It was going to just be archaeology, and then I realized I had enough 
just in my mind already, I had enough for two whole scripts. Because mm-hmm. I'd written out the first one, and I realized that it's twice as long as all the others. Okay, fine, just divide it up. Hmm. Speaking yeah. of uh, dendrochronology, can you briefly explain what that is? Yeah, dendrochronology is dating uh, a tree by the rings that it has. So you take a core sample, and simply if you just bore a, you know, get a tube of the, out of the middle of it, and you count the rings. You know, or if you cut the tree down, you can count the rings from that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's uh, the, the rings are different uh, widths because of the different amounts of water that it takes in every year. And so there's historical events that trees can measure by you know whether there's a drought or whether there's a flood or whatever. You, it shows up in the tree rings. And so these tree rings of different of different widths or darkness can be correlated against each other. So that you can have a younger tree and match the rings of you know where this tree and that tree overlap, so mm-hmm. that they have you know the, uh, this was obviously the same time period for these two trees in close proximity. But the, the interesting thing was is they've done that with a whole lot of old 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 trees too. So you they can they can overlap all these trees from like ancient timbers from uh, old uh, ruins of buildings like in Israel from you know two three thousand years ago, and they can take the timbers and match those. You know, overlapping even greater ages. So, you know, trees. A lot of people don't realize, perhaps, you know, trees are at minimum a few a few hundred years old, and we have some individual trees that are thousands of years old. Individual living trees. But then we have, and this is fascinating. Then we have clonal trees, mm. where you'll have one interconnected tree network, where it'll be an entire forest, but they're literally all connected underground. Oh, really? One tree. And these are fantastically old. Wow. So there's one that's, uh, there's, a, there's a forest, I think it's of aspens, I can't remember now, but it, it's like 100,000 years old. Wow. And, and there's, uh, there's a series of other organisms that are similarly connected underground, but they're like in ring groups. And so the, um, you dig around and you'll, you'll notice there's an interconnection there. And, and they have a different way of dating these. But they, they've dated a number of these at, at 10,000, 20,000, up to 100,000 years old for these individual colonies. And then they have this, uh, this other forests, a whole series, not just a forest, a series of forests that have been uh, covered over by volcanic ash so that all the, all the trees die. And then you know, the volcanic ash becomes very fertile again in a couple of hundred years. And then a new forest grows. And then the cycle repeats. So what you end up with is layer upon layer of dead forests where you can actually overlap the trees below with the trees above. Hmm. They're literally overlapped. Wow. So, <laughs> so yeah, this, this is 27 forests. Where are they located? Oh, man, I think this was an, in like Montana or Wyoming or something like that. It's in the video. I can't remember where it was located, this particular site. Hold on a minute. But you, you, you have this, this cycle of volcanic upheavals and everything, and they started measuring the ages of the trees and the amount of time it takes for the ground to become fertile again. And then, you know, by, by these ages that you can get in the tree rings, and then uh, doing that 27 times, they come up with something like 50,000, 60,000 years at a bare minimum. Huh. This is assuming the shortest possible dates on everything. Wow. 50 or 60,000 years. I, if, if everything is as fast and as short as it possibly can be, which, of course, that's never the case. 
So we're looking at another thing that is a you know like you know well over a hundred thousand years that that we're looking at in a succession, and just nothing, nothing whatsoever matches the the flood fable. I mean, no part of it. There's there's not an aspect of it mm. in the. Yeah, what was the next one that comes after that? Is it the, the anthropology one? Of course, we have all you know. Everything we know about human evolution directly stands against that, and then everything we know about anthropology, as far as uh, the cultural anthropology, about you know where people live and then the races of of, of uh, you know, the, the um, different cultures and their migrations and so forth. All of this stands against it too. Uh, Alice Roberts did a great series on the migration of human uh, deems across the, across the world, you know, all, all emerging from Africa. She does like these genetic traces mm -hmm. and then finds archaeological evidence and then, you know, anthropological evidence on top of that. So she's like different, doing with three or four different lines of evidence to identify all of these migration periods and using like mitochondrial mutation rates and so forth to identify the, the ages that these are happening too. So we got a fourth line of evidence. And her series didn't ha wasn't intended to have anything to do with the flood, but she absolutely rolled up and smoked that whole young earth flood geology bullshit. <laughs> and so I, I, cited an, I cited her work a number of times and I just talked to her, uh, I got an email from her a day or two ago. I'm, I'm, she's one of my heroes, I'm gonna have an interview with her on my podcast as soon as I can swing that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, do, do you, when, when speaking of anthropology, you know the classic image that we all grew up with of, you know, the, the chimpanzee and a couple of Australopithecus and then a couple of Homo erectus until you got the modern man. Do you think that image, that classic image, has done more of a disservice when it comes to explaining evolution because people think that one species transforms into the next? Yeah, well, it, it does in a number of ways. First of all, we didn't come from chimpanzees, uh, and and nobody understands that because they just because chimpanzees are all they know. I'm going to be doing a video as soon as I possibly can. I want to get in touch with the experts in this particular area of paleoprimatology. There's a thing called Dryopithecus, and Dryopithecus is not an individual species. It's a junk taxon of but what a junk taxon is, and when you find things that look vaguely similar to this kind of notion, you just put them all in the same thing. Just mm. just put them all in this, like you know, the, the junk drawer of, well, these are these are apes from Europe from this time period. We'll call it Dryopithecus and just leave it be. But Dryopithecus actually covers gibbon-sized things up to gorilla-sized things. Oh wow! So and, and these are not gorillas or gibbons. These are older. Okay, so these are, and, and so here's the, here's one of the other uh, images that people get wrong is the the idea of the knuckle walking chimp, and then you see the uh, the Rudy Zowinger painting, you know, where the knuckle knuckle walking chimp starts walking kind of upright, but hunched over, and then you know becomes an upright man. Wrong, absolutely wrong, because when we we, we were apes when we were small apes like gibbons and so forth, you know, you're looking in, in the trees. Gibbons have the really long arms. Yes. And because their arms are so long, they just walk upright all the time, straight upright. That's the way they are. When they get into trees, they do the same. If they're not hanging, they're standing, but there's always upright. And orangutans are quite like that, too. I mean, orangutans are upright all the time. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening was you get into Dryopithecus, and I'm going to be, I want to talk to the experts about this because my hypothesis is, though I don't have this confirmed yet, is that Dryopithecus was an upright walking ape did not, was not into knuckle walking. It had done what it, uh, what they'd always done. So Dryopithecus is before chimpanzees, is before, it's, it's before Australopiths. Mm. So this is before Lucy. So 
these things would have been upright walking, and then you have the line that branched into chimpanzees and gorillas, and they reverted to quadruped. Oh, really? This is my hypothesis. The, the chimpanzees and gorillas reverted to quadruped because nothing, there's nothing that not walks on its knuckles except gorillas and chimpanzees. Orangutans don't, and none of the apes do. I suspect Dryopithecus did not. Now, there's another one that likely reverted to uh, quadruped, and that's uh, Gigantopithecus. Mm. And the reason that, w- that we suspect that that would have is that, frankly, it's just so freaking big. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, that it would have to be on all fours. There's just no way that something like that could, it would be a wholly ungainly if it tried to walk around. And it was also in a heavily jungled area, so it would be likely more more convenient to be on its fours. Gigantopithecus was uh, stood, what, stood about uh, 12 feet? Tall, I, I think it's 10 feet, but yeah. And, and these are estimates based only on teeth because it was re- because it was found in a jungle environment where you'd get very poor fossilization. Yes, yes. There's virtually no fossils from the jungle. So we have, this is the problem with Dryopithecus too, because they're from Europe, not Africa. So while humanity emerged from Africa, while all of the human deems, like, like chimpanzees, gorillas, and australopiths, all originated in Africa, their grandfathers were not African. Mm-hmm. All of their grandfathers began in Europe. Hmm. How bizarre is that? Well, the, you know, the grandfather of gorillas began in Europe. It's bizarre when you think of the actual geographical position of Europe now, but in the distant prehistoric past, it was at a different latitude, obviously. So it was probably warmer as well. Well, yeah, there is that. Uh, now, not significantly, though. Not not in the last ten million years. Uh, the climate would have been. Slightly better, but yeah. Hmm. I, my my hypothesis was, of course, the species will stand up really quickly when the guy behind you is called Homo erectus. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was awful. <laughs> well done, Kevin. Well done. Yeah. And after that, you went into how archaeology disproves Noah's flood. Yeah, and that that was that was so much good in that. Um. The, 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 what we know about the different cultures, I did a video once upon a time called archaeo- called an archaeological moment in time, where if you look up any place in the world and then just find archaeological records for whatever place you're looking at, pick one, it doesn't matter. You know, we know things about that part of the world from 15, 20,000 years ago. We know about the people that were there 20,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's that's everywhere. That's South America. South America, there were people 20,000 years ago. Yes. Right? So, I mean, so, I mean, like Taiwan, they didn't get there until like, uh, like, like six to 8,000 years ago. That was, that was probably, you know, the, a recent thing. The, 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 what was the name of the, the native tribes that, that ended up in New Zealand? I can't remember M something, but it, Maori. It, it, Thank you, thank you, Maori. You know, they were a relatively recent migration because, you know, New Zealand is really, you know, kind of far away from everything. But still, all these people were, they were all over the world thousands of years before the flood. And we have genetic uh, genetic and archaeological references. So we have uh, the people that that we found the, the we find bones in South America, for example, and all along the, the South American coast and the Mexican coast and so forth, where you take genetic samples from the bones that you find in these regions and you match them to the people that are there now mm-hmm. and you have a direct genetic link that the that the, the, the Mexicans and the South Americans that they the people that are lived there now are the people that were there then. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't like 
that there was, you know, there, there were people there then, and then there was the Noah's flood, and then Noah's children came and migrated into that area. No, the genetics would show that, but that's not what it shows. It shows that the people that are there now are descended of the people that were there thousands of years earlier. So just every kind of line of, of proof that there was no damn global flood. Mm-hmm. God hit and it. And so you have people that, like Ken Ham, who answers in Genesis, they hire geologists and other people, you know, supposedly scientists, who are just flat out determined to make believe something else. And I don't know what the or I don't know what the, the fascination is, you know, is it just that they're afraid of death and you just but it really is to make believe and to fool as many people as they possibly can. And I can see how lucrative that can be for some yes. people because Ken Ham has he was able to talk people into giving him a hundred million dollars to build an ark that amusingly, after it's one year old it's starting to collapse from rain. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yes, Seth Andrew and Matt Delahunty just did a video, and there's a clear picture of the ark, and it seems to have water damage on the side there. <laughs> Poetic justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and technically, that's not even a boat. It is literally a building. It, that's just the, what you see in the wood. It's just right. a facade on one side. <laughs> Well, it's because it, it wasn't made by with, with gopher wood. That's right. If gopher wood doesn't exist anymore, gopher wood back then was way better. <laughs> yeah, it was made with a hundred million dollars in hydraulic equipment and and every kind of uh, level of expertise with uh, the trucks bringing in you know tons and tons of lumber and all like this and and all of and it took years to do for hundreds of people to work on it. Whereas we got to remember that this was built in the Stone Age by a 600-year-old man and three untrained laborers using flint. <laughs> I wonder what his 401k looks like after 600 years. <laughs> so, how long do you think it would take you to build that giant ark using a hand axe? <laughs> and by hand axe, I mean a rock in your hand <laughs> that you use as, a, as an axe. <laughs> Oh, so I guess I guess we could, you could finally put that Noah's flood to rest, and I the, hope the, your series helps. The too. problem with you, Aaron, is that you bring in reality and spoil everything. <laughs> we were all so happy with God did it. And the oh, funny thing yeah. is, is when I you know there there are believers that will comment on the, that video series, and you just have to wonder how much did you not pay attention to? How much do you have to deliberately ignore? Yeah. To still pretend that any of that could have happened, but they do. I mean, they they, they tell me that I'm just you know I just hate God. Yeah, they they they, they call them astroturfers. They're people that just comment on uh, put posting. They haven't read the thing. They just comment anyway. Don't give it one star and comment bad. It's called astroturfing. They they have a whole series of people doing that for a living almost. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Now that you have done Noah's flood, you plan on doing a video series on other Bible myths. Not Bible myths. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing something a little different. Of course, I'm working on the Phylogeny Explorer project, or oh, you know, trying to trying that. to hit that. What's that? Please explain that. The Phylogeny Explorer project is a very ambitious thing. Um, we are trying to. We're, we're integrating with Paleos.com, and of course, nobody's going to know what Paleos.com is unless they're a paleontologist. A few years ago, Paleos.com was. Uh, was a, a, a it was put together by a handful of autodidacts, just uh, amateur people who who love uh, knowledge about you know uh, geo history, and so they would their focus was uh, the different geologic time periods, 
And they they created a website that was just a massive, huge encyclopedia of different kinds of uh, paleofauna, things you couldn't find anywhere else. Uh, not just the the illustrations, the graphs, and you know, just encyclopedic information everywhere. And so uh, we've been talking with them about integrating their database with ours, so that it'll it'll be paleos.com's uh, comprehensive evaluations of uh, different uh, geologic uh, periods, and we are doing the entire phylogenetic tree of life as a navigable online encyclopedia, so that you can start from the dawn of life, essentially, you know, and go. And then literally follow the course that creationists talk about, you know, from goo to you by way of the zoo, you know. <laughs> Very good. That is yeah, an ambitious but, project. But the tree is way more intricate and complicated than, you know, any creationist could ever believe. And a lot of people can't understand how vastly complicated it is. So to add to this, to, to, to help people understand while we're putting this together, we're, we're doing it in two stages, and it's, it's already taken years. And it's going to take, you know, we're supposed to have a landing page in another month or so, but it's still going to be very bare bones then. Uh, we're just beginning the second phase, which is we're, we're putting in all of, I think we've put in 26,000 species in 150 or 160 clades so far, wow. to just give you an idea how the, the base of the tree works so far. Uh, and it's just going to keep getting more and more robust. And we're inviting other scientists, actual scientists, to get involved with this and, and eventually maintain it on their uh, as a living entity. So uh, that it, it's intended to be my contribution to science. So anybody that has a fascination with uh, this particular you know, lineage or this you know this particular uh, line of creatures or whatever will. Um, will put in illustrations and graphs and all of the other information that they think is is relevant or necessary and then you know and just flesh it out that way so that when you when you hit that clade you you see the whole tree and then you you click this little box of you know what this clade is like deuterostome for example and and then it'll explain what a deuterostome is and it'll give you an idea of the things that are derived from this line and what are the criteria to be this and then there'll be like an illustration of the earliest one that ever showed up in the fossil record you know and so this is a this is a great way for people to understand evolution because you really can't adequately understand evolution if you don't understand taxonomy and nobody understands taxonomy that's that's the hard thing it's the most compelling uh, inarguable uh, evidence of evolution i mean it's it's the be all end all and it's something very few people know anything at all about mm-hmm. yes. so i mean like when people argue that you know well why do you think we came from animals well why do you think we are animals? So we have to give an extra description of what an animal is, and so they want to argue against that. You know, so, well, you think we came from monkeys? Well, hey, you know, we're, we're still monkeys right now, and then we can we can discuss what makes a monkey, and then and the description of what a monkey is, and the description of what an ape is, and so forth. All of these things include us, the same way that the the classification of mammal includes us. And I use that one because that's the only one that everybody understands and accepts. They all accept that we are mammals. They don't understand what that means, but they understand that we are mammals because we are warm-blooded, we have hair, we have mammary glands that produce milk. Right? So there's there are a hundred other clades that are like that, that have the same kind of criteria to them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like nephrozoan, for example, has a, what is the criteria? It's, it's all of the other things that, that precede that up until this one change, which is that it has a through gut connecting a mouth on one end to an anus on the other. That And then, you know, and it, that's, that's another criteria. And there's like, for every clay, there's, there's people have no idea 
how voluminous that gets. They think that a fish, a single fish, grew legs and turned into turned into something else. You know, like yeah. Pokemon evolution or something <laughs> like that. So when when you see the the actual tree of life. It's way more complicated. It's it's so complicated that it makes the idea of a god as silly as let's say that you're you're studying um, neuroscience, right? And you understand epilepsy. Mm-hmm. You know, you understand the thing, the degrees that you know, the, the things that make epilepsy happen. And then you think back to a few centuries ago when people were blaming epilepsy on demonic possession. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you look at germ theory of disease, for example. You know, you're you're working in a medical clinic, and you and people want to you know, blame disease on witchcraft or curses. And you know, how silly is that? Exactly as silly as you know the 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 idea of that the, that the creationists are trying to misrepresent about a a animal turning into another animal or different created kinds. Mm-hmm. It's just people don't people aren't commonly aware of these things, but it's it's that absurd when you when you see the tree and so what i'm doing to help people that don't have a biological background is i'm doing that at my wife's request i'm doing a series of videos that that chart uh, our evolutionary ancestry through this and it's called the systematic classification of life i've got seven videos up and i'm going to be doing an eighth one next week uh and we're right now we're up to chordates I had to skip, or I did not skip, I had to compress things. So, like, several clades would be done in one video, for example. Because mm-hmm. uh, people don't realize how many there are. When Carolus Linnaeus invented taxonomy, he he came up with seven, uh, seven-layered system, you know, uh, kingdom, phylum, yes. class, orders, you know, and so, so forth. But there's way, way more <laughs> than that. He couldn't, he couldn't begin to understand the depth and breadth of this, because he didn't know anything about paleontology either, so he didn't know anything about fossil species. He was seeing that everything was related somehow in like these these Russian Matryoshka dolls, you know, where you like yes. you have the doll inside the doll inside the doll. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, instead of getting the created kinds, he was getting more of this. But everyone is not just one doll; it's two or three dolls mm-hmm. inside of every doll. So, and all of these are subsets. You know, they're daughter groups within ancestral parental groups. And so Carolus Linnaeus, who was a creationist, had no explanation for this at all. It had never occurred. It was believed at that time that species were immutable. And so he has to throw up his hands. How the hell is this happening? He's seeing a pattern, and he's got no way to explain it. Hmm. And then when Darwin finally realized that different species could change the same way that breeds could change, when he realized that could happen on the species level, too, he went back and looked at, at Linnaeus's work, and suddenly all of that made sense. And that's why Theodosius Stubbsdensky said that nothing in biology makes sense except in light of evolution. Very true. Very true. True words were never spoken. Arn, uh, we can't we can't let you go before we quickly talk about your run for Senate in Texas. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're Canadians yeah, as much do, as we, we want to donate to my campaign. This is the biggest problem that, that we have in running. The, the United States is so corrupt as far as money in politics. That you know, I'm embarrassed that it is that way, but it is that way. Uh, you can't do anything without a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would like to have some donations to be able to do some things. I mean, but uh, we found out that my opponent has raised a half a million dollars to secure a job that 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 pays an estimated twenty one thousand dollars a year. <laughs> 
Well, it's Texas. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got to remember that you know, we don't longer have the Johnson Amendment, so uh, now that allows that our, our, our uh, mega churches have now become super PACs. So, the, so that's, that's a done deal. The Johnson Amendment has been repealed? Well, it doesn't really matter because nobody paid attention to that anyway. Uh, yeah. Because for 20 years, the churches were openly admitting that they're, they're telling their people how to vote. Yeah. You know, and just, what are you going to do? I mean, you, you really—it's not like people ever actually hold a church or a religious leader accountable for breaking the law or the Constitution. Yeah, they're above everything. They have special excuses where they can, and there's special laws in Texas that allow religious exemption from certain laws that you can't be unnecessarily encumbered by the law, like non-believing people. So there, you know, there are certain instances where your religion allows you special privilege, and you know, if if I had uh, it, it, you know autocratic dictatorial powers in this country, I mean the first thing I would do is I would still keep everybody's freedom of religion. You still have a freedom to believe, you know, whatever compels you to believe, whatever whatever reason or none, it doesn't matter. But you don't get special privilege. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. I wouldn't have let the the pastafarian get his his driver's license with the colander on his head, for the same reason I wouldn't wear, let the Muslim get her driver's license picture with the burqa, mm-hmm. and I I wouldn't let the the Sikh get a get a government job and then insist on bringing her dagger, yeah. which you know they they it's a, it's a real dagger it's not for ceremony it's for you know if there's a, a time of an emergency it's it's her responsibility to pull this thing out and use it on people. But it's her, her special religious privilege. Everybody would lose their religious privilege. Hmm. So you know, Native Americans wouldn't be able to smoke peyote or or marijuana because of their religious tradition, because that would be a special privilege. I could see legalizing it for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, I, and there's obviously huge advantages in doing that. And I say this as somebody that doesn't enjoy drugs himself. I, I yeah I, I've I've tried marijuana nothing else pretty much I mean I, I did get a prescription for something else once upon a time and I used it very briefly but that's it <laughs> recreational drugs marijuana done mm. it's just not something I ever enjoyed well one day I had marijuana and something else we don't know and that that's probably what colorized my impression <laughs> you sure you don't want to move up here go Ron, uh, Arn and uh... <laughs> Just run here in Vancouver instead. <laughs> Sounds a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand Vancouver just changed something really important about this. I just saw in the news where Vancouver uh, that they are they're taking the money out of politics. Yes, in British Columbia. Yes, the, the uh, that's outstanding because I was reading another article today, in fact, that was talking about the way that money uh, runs politics in the United States has actually rendered us, because of a number of changes in laws in recent, uh, in, in, uh, recent years, it has actually rendered us a failed democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, it's very disturbing to see how badly corrupted American politics is. And then to see the places where it was, all the different markations where things were made worse or weaker or, and so forth, and just the, the, the degradation over time since at least Reagan's era. Mm-hmm. And everything seems to have started with Reagan. Yo, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican, everybody since, everybody, Reagan on down, has lent to, has contributed to the deteriorating condition that we're in. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to me that if, if America wasn't so 
America centric. You know, if it, they they might be able to be more open to lessons from the international community. But well, I thought about it like this. We were, the word I use is ethnocentric, and I I used to think of England as being um, like a big brother to us. Like they 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 are or they were where we are. You know, if you go back a hundred years. You know, England, you know, they were very ethnocentric. They were very arrogant. They were very British first. You know, the, the sun never sets on the English Empire, you know. And, and well, they got over that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are about to, we're, 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 we're going where they were. You know, we're going to start losing the, the empire we have. Yes. And we're going to be learning some hard lessons soon. Yes. Arn, uh, if people want to re- reach you and give you your campaign and help you with, with your projects, where can they reach you? Well, uh, if you want to donate to my campaign, you can do that at rnraw.org. There's a, a campaign donation link there. Uh, and then uh, separately, and, and that only works if you're an American citizen. I can accept yes. any amount of money from American citizens anywhere in the world. You don't have to be in Texas. You can donate money as long as you're an American citizen. And there's no limit to the amount of money that you can donate. Otherwise, uh, if, if you want to support my activism, you can do that on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N uh, dot com slash A-R-O-N-R-A. So, I mean, this I, I am a full-time activist now. This is what I do all the time. I, I uh, We do educational videos. We do activism videos. We do political rallies and, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And that's... that's that's how I make my living. So I need literally all the support and all the uh, financial support I can get. Perfect. Arn, before I let you go, i gotta got to have you say, Hi, I'm Arn Raw, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Arn Raw, and I took a left at the valley. And that was his bonus, Arn Raw. What should you say about Arn Raw, right? He's, he's one of a kind thank heavens <laughs> you know we just because we can truly I appreciate know. I think we need more we, like him oh uh, yeah maybe so but yeah. there's just something something really really un- unique and special when he comes on we always have such a great time with yes. him yes yes we do and we know as well he's as, so fluent in so many areas you know he so can real. go easily from from one topic to the other and he's so well spoken yes absolutely and yeah. uh, it was it was great to uh when he actually came to town and we had him oh, in the yeah. studio. That was great, too. Yeah. Had a great time with him. And, and Leandra. It was good to have both of yes, them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we wish him always the best, and he's always welcome back onto the show. Time for my rant. Now, lately, we've been seeing many different tragedies, especially nature-based ones. Earthquake, floods, fires, and storms. Now you can easily see how our primitive ancestors who had no access to science would spin tales of gods, monsters, and apocalyptic moments in order to explain and maybe calm some of those fears, especially the fear of the unknown. You could picture tales told around the fire of mountains rumbling due to some unknown monster and or god and only calm down after some sacrifice of our part made it happy again. Thus religion, our first attempt at explaining things, was born. Flash forward thousands of years, and we use the fruits of science to travel to the air and visit other worlds. We have extended our lifespan by decades and provided a level of comfort never seen in history. Yet, as soon as a storm comes on the horizon, we drop to our knees in prayer to shoot away. 
Seems to me that our technology has advanced, but humans remain, for the most part, that scared primate, hoping the great juju will spare us. Kinda like giving a laser gun to a three-year-old with his favorite blankie. Nothing makes this more apparent than spending a few minutes on social media to get the impression that there is a resurgence of dumb shit all over. From flat earth to creationism to spiritual connecting, these people traditionally mocked when expressing their ridiculous, and it is just that, a ridiculous opinion, have found a new form to spread their message and fear and hate. Now I normally say that we should expect that after all the internet has given us all a forum and we should expect religion to become more vicious. They are like a wounded animal, more dangerous than ever. But what disturbs me is the lack of rebuttal from atheists and seculars. I understand that it gets irritating to constantly having to explain that no, you're not working for Satan or Richard Dawkins or why there are still monkeys. But please bear in mind one thing. The religious aren't trying to prove themselves right. They are just trying to dominate the conversation. Every atheist that has been online has seen the incredible hypocrisy of theists who keep posting the same horrible meme, usually one that's been debunked a thousand times, just to run away from debating. From Ken Hovind to your neighbor, they all do it. They understand that it, this isn't about convincing you. It's about controlling the narrative. And they are constantly on the attack. Our role as seculars is to shut them down, not convince them. Keep them out of power, not win the argument. And we seem to be failing. Why is it, for example, with 97 consensus from science, do we still debate climate change? It's not about what's true. It's about who makes the decision to tackle climate change or not. This is why we need to stop sitting on our laurels because we have the truth on our side. A lie, constantly repeated, becomes truth. And that's what theists are doing. So I hope you keep fighting, even if it's tiresome. Because our future depends on it. Don't ignore them. Make it unacceptable to have primitive beliefs in the 21st century. Or if we don't, they'll bring upon us another dark age. And that takes us to the end of our show. So, thank you so much for joining us on the show, guys. That it was, was a lot of fun. It's always had fun. fun. Had fun this week. You can, yep. fi- you can find us at letthedevalue.com. You can follow us at uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. You can send us an email at letthedevalue at outlook.com. If you do uh, listen to us via Stitcher or uh, iTunes or anything like that, give us a five-star review. It actually helps others find the show. Hey, and I got a quick message also from our last guest last week, Michael Sparks. He basically said to us, he said, just listen to the latest episode. You guys made me come across really well. Great editing and sound effects, very humorous. I loved it. Michael, you know, it's great to have a show with a professional like yourself, so it was an easy show to do. It was. It was a lot of fun. And I hope he comes back, too. Of course. Yeah, we always got, want our guests to come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got the documentary and, and yes, the well, book, so lots to talk about. We'll have to bring him back for sure when the documentary comes out. Yeah. Okay. Coming up next week, we have the legendary Jerry Coyne. Oh, This wow. should be but, interesting. But today's the end of the world. Okay, yeah, okay. Assuming <laughs> that the end does not work. Okay. Assuming that the end of the world doesn't happen today, because it probably won't. <laughs> Jerry Coyne will be with us last week. And uh, October, we'll have uh, William Zingron, the author, Jeep the Vegan. We'll talk about veganism. We'll also have a show about bronies. And we'll have, at the end, for our Halloween special, Andrea Gretchen uh, talking about uh, the devil. That will be fun. I can't believe Halloween. It seems like we just did our Halloween show, doesn't it? Yeah, it always comes around so fast. 
In November, we'll have David G. McAfee, the author. Also, a, we'll have a, a, a Canadian, uh, an atheist author, and uh, he'll be interviewing us as well. So that'll be fun. Fabulous. Yeah, we still got great stuff lined up. But I'm still working on more stuff. We're actually uh, trying to bring the boys from the Skeptocrat to come talk to us about the Johnson Amendment. Okay. So, anyway, stay tuned. Anything else you guys need to say? Nope, nope. Just looking forward to the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you all in cyberspace. That's right. I'll drink to that. <laughs> what happens, you know, if this is the end of the world and this is the last thing we come up with? I really doubt it. I'm, I'm, not, hoping, I'm not too concerned. I'm hoping there's a hell. I'm really hoping that I'm wrong and there's a hell and, and then I could go slap the devil in the face. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> prick. Well, you know, I've been around forever. There's no, you know, there's no reason to believe I won't still be here in some form or another. Yeah, the world will be gone. Nancy will be out there floating around. <laughs> Nancy will be around. The cockroaches will be still around. But Nancy and the cockroaches, because Nancy's just... I she can tell them stories as they're developing into the moon. <laughs> Guys, until next time. <laughs> To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now Is to attack them The parties of God's hands Are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name and let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed